Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. My name's Dan Carson, and I'm the family pastor here at Calvary Church. We'd love to have you come and to worship with us. And if you're looking for information about Calvary, you can find that at calvaryfayetteville.com, or you can call us at 479-442-4634. Now, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing our series entitled Reset as we look at the beginning of the new year, 2023. Now, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29, as we talk about resetting our worship. Again, if you are looking for a place to connect with others, let me encourage you to reach out to us here at Calvary. We'd love to spend that time. Our church is located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And you can find even more information, as I've shared before, at calvaryfedville.com. Now let's listen as Pastor Kirk continues our series entitled Reset with a message from Hebrews chapter 12. Our theme for the month of January, this first month of 2023, is Reset. You know, life does not give us the luxury of do-overs. You know what a do-over is, don't you? It's exactly what it says. You get to do it over. Maybe do right what you didn't do so right the first time. It'd be great if we had that, an opportunity to do some things over. I've got two or three things that come to mind very quickly that I would do over if I could. Make a better decision, choose more wisely, undo some mistakes or sins, see the bigger picture, earlier in life so that you could uh, arrange your life according to what's really important. But while we don't have the luxury of do-overs, we do have the opportunity of starting fresh. And there's no better time for that than the beginning of a new year, a great time for resetting our priorities uh, as we go into Uh, a new 12 months, a new calendar. Now, last week, we focused our attention on resetting the priority of God's Word in our lives. I gave you a a key truth that kind of wrapped up the message and, and maybe summarized it in one statement, and it is this. Your relationship with God, and thus, your life and how you live it, will never be better than your relationship with the Word of God. The key to your relationship with God is your relationship with His Word. That means you're listening to Him. You're absorbing what He has not only entrusted to us, but preserved for us miraculously His Word so that we could hold it in our hands, so that we could read it, so that we would have ready access to it. Countless Christians and generations of Christians never had that opportunity in the past, but we do. And in that message last week, I shared with you that God's Word is inspired. That means it's breathed out by God. It is infallible, and it is inerrant. And those three things basically mean it is from God, it cannot fail, and it is without Error And because of his inspired, infallible, inerrant word, 
God's Word is authoritative. It is authoritative for you and for me. That means that we will answer to God according to His Word and what He has given to us. Well, I hope that you've already prayed about and chosen what will be your 2023 plan for reading, studying, and growing in the Word of God. To help you with that, you've probably already noticed on the back of our worship guide last week and this week, there are a list, about nine, I believe, different Bible reading plans. By the way, there are many others, but find one that suits you. Find one that seems to meet your needs. Find one that perhaps God is specifically leading you to and get started spending some time every day with God's Word. Now, to help you also with that, we have Bible studies here at Calvary. We have Sunday morning Bible study classes that are systematically walking through the Bible from beginning to end. And if you get in a class and stay in there long enough, you will go through the whole Bible in Sunday morning Bible study. We also have Wednesday night Bible study, which so many of you forgot to show up for last Wednesday night. We've started again. We'll be here at 6.30, and we're studying from the Word of God every Wednesday evening as well. And in addition to all of that, in a month or two, we will be restarting Faithful Men, Faithful Women, all of these geared to getting you into the Word of God in a deeper, more meaningful way that we can reset, make 2023 a year in the Word of God. Amen? Well, maybe amen. Today we turn our attention to another key discipline where we want to do a reset for 2023. I want to challenge you today to reset the priority of worship in your life. The priority of worship. And by the way, I don't just mean Sunday morning worship. We're going to look at two aspects of worship. Our, our text is found in Hebrews chapter 12. Before we read it, let me kind of give you the background of this book so that you'll understand why the writer is saying what he or she is saying. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. This person is unknown to us. Many different names have been suggested. Of course, Paul, or maybe Peter, or maybe Apollos, or maybe one of the other disciples. But the bottom line is we just don't know. It's a mystery. This person is not identified. But we do know who this person was writing to. This person was writing to Jewish Christians who were very familiar with the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament book of the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And these Hebrew Christians, that's why we have the title, To the Hebrews, To the Jewish People. Now these are Jewish Christians. They have left Judaism behind. They recognize that, that Judaism had been basically a failed uh, system of faith because man had twisted it and turned it from, from what God intended it to be. And it failed. The law did not save 
anyone. And so they recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of the law. And we find that uh, Jesus and his salvation through his shed blood was the real way of life. And he had trusted Christ as Savior. But because of persecution, because of difficulties, because of, uh, of untold miseries, some of them were beginning to turn back and revert back to their, uh, their Hebrew roots, their Jewish roots. And so the author of this book is writing to these Jewish Christians and basically telling them, if you want a, a name or a title for the book of Hebrews, it is this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than the Old Testament law. He's better than the Old Testament worship and the old ways. He is the fulfillment of all of that. Jesus is better. Stay the course. Be true. Be faithful. See it through. Finish strong. That's what Hebrews is all about. And he gives them in chapter 11, we talked about that for a number of Sundays back in the fall, a long list of faithful men and women and how that they, these Christians, as well as you and me today, we are in that long line of faithful followers of Christ. So in that context, in chapter 12, the author is beginning to give them a picture of worship, of Old Testament worship and New Testament worship. And he contrasts these, and he does so by giving them the illustration of two mountains. He says, first of all, there's Mount Sinai. That's the old covenant. That's the old law. Why did he pick Mount Sinai? Because it was at Mount Sinai that the law was given, right? You remember that from the book of Exodus and, and many of the uh, words that follow are things that God told Moses on Mount Sinai, and it was very regulative, it was very detailed, it was very specific how they were to carry out their worship of the true God. And then he's contrasting that old covenant with another mountain, Mount Sinai, with Mount Zion. That's New Testament worship. Mount Zion represents where God is today. It represents our heavenly home and our heavenly worship. So keep that in mind as I begin reading with verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. And here is that order. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion. This is the new covenant, a covenant of grace. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, 
and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what a word it is. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you right now, I know that passage raises a lot of questions, especially about things that can be shaken, things that cannot be shaken, things that are still yet going to be shaken, and all of that. And I'm not going to get into a uh, deep uh, uh, dive into this passage this morning. It's basically giving to us a contrast, a picture, and a jumping off place for me to uh, basically apply the last couple of verses. We will come back and exposit this passage in the month of February, Lord willing. After we finish this series on reset, uh, if God continues to lead that direction as we get into February, we're going to do a rather deep dive into worship and all the different things about worship that we have to learn, that we need to be reminded of, and certainly things that God is calling us to. But I want you to notice the contrast of these two mountains of worship. Mount Sinai, representing the Old Testament law, the old covenant of works that could not save, and Mount Zion, the new covenant, a covenant of grace, the only way of salvation for mankind. Notice a couple of things that he did say about Mount Sinai. Four words I marked in my text, beginning with the letter T. First of all, it could be touched. It was a physical mountain. And he tells us in verse 18 that we do not come to what may be touched. Our worship today is a worship that is based on Mount Zion. It is spiritual. It is in heaven. But at that time, it was a physical mountain. It could be touched. But if you touched it, you would die. That's the problem. It was physical. It's described with the words blazing fire, darkness, gloom, and the T word tempest. That means a great whirlwind that destroys. The phenomena that was going on around this mountain, the thunderings and the lightnings, as Moses stood in the very presence of God at the top, was frightening to those who were down below. In fact, that's why it uses the word terrifying. It was terrifying 
And it caused Moses and the people by their own testimony to tremble. So Mount Sinai worship touched tempest, terrifying and tremble. Not something that you desire to draw near to. Not something that, that welcomes you as a sinner in need of a relationship and a walk with God. In contrast, notice the description of Mount Zion. It is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. There are innumerable angels in festal gathering. That means joyful gathering. So many angels, you could not count them all. That's verse 22. The assembly of all of God's people. Not only are angels there, but God's people are there. The assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And I ask you, are your, is your name enrolled in heaven today? Are you enrolled there? If you are, then there's a spot waiting for you in this place of worship. We see it several times in the book of Revelation where all of the saints of God, the church, the assembly of God's people, the assembly of the firstborn, all who have their names enrolled in heaven are there in the Lamb's book of life. That's where your name is written. And not only that, but most of all and most important of all, Jesus is there. He is the one who mediated this new covenant. He is the one through his blood and through his sacrifice made peace with God. As it were, hanging on a cross, he reached into heaven with one hand and reached down to mankind with the other hand. And he pulled together the raveled and frayed ends of that golden cord of fellowship that was broken in the Garden of Eden when man rebelled. And he tied that cord back together again, connecting you here, sinner, on earth with God there in fellowship forever and knowing that that cord will never be broken again. And one day that you will be in his presence. Now that's as far as I'm going to go with describing this scene and explaining it. I hope that you see it. I hope that you rejoice that we have the opportunity of Mount Zion worship. Not just in our future, but right now. Right now. Even while you're sitting there wondering what you're going to eat for lunch, you are right here in this scene we have that privilege. We only know it by faith, but it's real. It's real. And I want you to notice how he summarizes this passage. Therefore, therefore, because of that, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, and as a result, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Well, this passage is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God for it. Let us offer to God acceptable worship.
with grateful and thankful hearts. We are to offer God acceptable worship. You know there's only one word in that appeal, in that challenge that gives me trouble? It's the word acceptable. For if he said, with grateful and thankful hearts, let us offer to God worship, I could do that any way I wanted to. I would be the final arbiter of what God needs to hear from me and what God wants from me. But then he goes and sticks in that word, acceptable. And so I dug into my various study tools and I looked up this Greek word, acceptable. And you know what it really means? Do you know? What it really means is acceptable. There's no other word. It really means acceptable. And I asked the question, acceptable to whom? And here's where I see what I see as the biggest problem in the evangelical church in America today. We think that we are the judges of worship. We think that we are the final arbiters of what is good or poor worship. We think that we've been given the responsibility and the privilege to make our decision about worship. And hence you hear things like this. Well, you know, that church over there has really good teaching, but they don't have very good worship. Or that church over there, the teaching's okay, but man, the worship is great. And what we're doing, we're judging it by maybe a music style or the quality of the music, which by the way, according to the Bible, needs to always be done as well as it can be done with what you work with. We should offer to God our best, right? But I'm going to tell you, I read something just this week, and maybe you read it too. Uh, it was just a, a little meme, and it said, you know what the greatest mark of a healthy church is? Noisy babies and children and loud singing by the men. That is the mark of a healthy church where men don't sing but just look, where men don't sing and sing boisterous and loud and with enthusiasm, you have a sick church. Now the same goes for women as well. But the mark of a healthy and acceptable worship is judged by God and he judges by a standard much different than you and me. Most people in the evangelical church in America today hop from church to church based on whether they like the music, whether they like the dynamic, whether it pleases them, and they can leave feeling propped up and feeling good about themselves when in reality, maybe they never heard from God.
Well, if the Lord said here that God is looking for acceptable worship, it's very possible then that there's a lot of unacceptable worship going on. Does that make sense? If, you, if, he's, if he's looking for acceptable worship, then there must be unacceptable worship. I suggest to you, only God is the judge of that. We'll learn more, a lot more about worship next month. Let me give you two thoughts today. <clears throat> two thoughts. And these are two aspects of worship that should be true in your life. Two aspects. I, I wouldn't call them levels, maybe types, but two aspects of worship. And the first one is essential to the second one, okay? The first one is essential to the second one. And the first aspect of worship is this. I just call it all of life worship. All of life worship. You might identify this as personal worship, but it's more than just being personal. It's being all of your life personal. It is not private, though sometimes it takes place in private. It is not limited there. It is all of life worship. First and foremost, we've got to understand this, that true worship is a whole life lived to the glory of God. It is a life that is not divided and segmented up into slices. Well, this is my work life. This is my recreation life. This is my home life. This is my hobby life. This is my church life. This is my worship life. Your life is not a pie to be divided up. Worship, true worship, is a whole life lived to the glory of God. And you say, does that mean that, that worship is even when I have to go to school? Yes, that's what I mean. Even when you have to go to work? Yes. As you work, whatever you do, you do heartily as unto the Lord. Whole life, all of life worship. It involves your attention. What or whom do you focus on? Who is it that receives the ultimate attention of your life? It involves your affections. Who do you love? I know that we love many people in life. We love our spouses, our children, our grandchildren. I hope that you have love for one another. You're commanded to. We all are. I love you and I want you to love me. But first and foremost, it's love for God. Love for God even more than love for your children. Love for God even more than love for your spouse. It is your attention, your affection. It is your allegiance. What are you loyal to? Who are you loyal to? All of life worship means, now listen to me, <clears throat> that I am willing to abandon, to walk away from, to desert, to abandon any loyalty or devotion that hinders 
an exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. There are people that got tested about that in Scripture, aren't there? You think of Abraham. Remember when God finally, miraculously gave him a son through Sarah, his barren wife? You remember? You remember Isaac? And when Isaac got to about 12 or 13 years old, this child of the promise, this one that God had miraculously given, we have God telling Abraham to take him, to sacrifice him at a place I'm going to mention to you in just a minute because it was a, an amazing place what happened there. And he took Isaac. Why would God tell this man, torture his soul by requiring such a requirement? I'll tell you what God was doing. He was testing the love of Abraham. His love for God. Abraham's love for his son had come perilously close to replacing his love for God as the first love of his life. And there's, if there's anything or anyone in your life that gets in the way of your love for God that supersedes your love for God, you know what that is? That is an idol in your life. It doesn't have to be a carved image. It doesn't have to be some kind of statue you bow down and offer sacrifices to. It can be a person. It can be a work. It can be a job. It can be your hobby. It can be your playtime. It can be your sports team. It can be a thousand different things. Anything that receives greater allegiance from you than God does. All of life worship is the first and foremost kind of worship there is. It is worshiping with a whole life. It's lived to the glory of God. Our attention, our affection, our allegiance. This is the kind of worship that is expressed in obedience and adoration. Does the word of God and your love for God cause you to obey God in your daily life? Does it cause you to adore him? Do you find yourself during at random times in the day uh, praying to God, thank you for all you've done for me. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving me. Does it cause you to, to maybe hum a hymn or a gospel song or maybe even sing the word? Some of you do that in your, in your car. I know you do. Or the shower. Does it find you uh, singing songs to the Lord in those times? It's not state of the art. It's state of the heart. Do you remember back in the fall when we were talking about the church? That the church began with a married couple, Adam and Eve. They grew into a family. They grew into a nation. They finally grew into the church as we know it today. What we said God was doing from the beginning of time, God was creating and calling out a worshiping community. That was God's purpose in creating mankind. 
He wanted a community of worshipers that would worship him and recognize who he is and follow him and live out his life. God's intention in a creating a worshiping community. That's who I am. That's who you are. That's not just what we do. It's who we are before it is what we do. It is doing all to the glory of God. I mentioned this verse uh, maybe earlier already. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I know what John Bird is asking in his mind right now. He's saying, are you saying when I have to change a diaper, I do that to the glory of God? Yes, John, you do. You thank God for that privilege every day. Does that mean when I have to put up with getting chewed out by some narcissistic uh, boss who is just awful to work for? Yes, it means you do it all. You take it for the glory of God in a Christian spirit. Does that mean when I am writhing in pain from some injury or some illness, maybe a disease that's going to take my life from me? Yes, to the glory of God. Whatever you do. And you know what? I looked up whatever. You know what it means? It means whatever. It means all the above. It means everything you experience. Do it all to the glory of God. This is all of life worship. It's who you are. It's who Christ has made you and is making you into being. This is a, the question we ask is, can I do this? It gives us an evaluation tool. Can I do this for the honor and glory of God? Uh, can I do this job for God's honor and glory? There are some jobs you can't do for the honor and glory of God. All right? There's some jobs you need to walk away from, not just because of personal comfort or personal preference, but maybe because what you're doing there or what that company stands for is something that is absolutely contrary to the things of God. Can I date or marry this person? What does God have to say about it? Can I watch this program? Can I sit here in my living room and watch this program for the glory of God? Could I invite Jesus right here to sit along on the sofa next to me as I find myself entertained? By I want you to know that there's a show on TV that I, I, I love the, the people that are in it. I, I love the the scenario of where it takes place, the drama of it draws me in, but I had to quit watching it. I just had to. Why? Because the things they were saying, the language they were using, the things it was showing was absolutely a slap in the face of God. It was sin that Jesus died for. And why should I be entertained by what cost Jesus his life? Can I participate in this activity? Should I be listening to this particular 
kind of music. It's an evaluation tool. All of life worship helps you to make decisions that will further and advance your sanctification and your walk with Christ. Do you see that? Do you understand that? Do you remember a man in the Old Testament by the name of Ornan? That's a funny name, isn't it? He's called by a different name, and in, in, um, I believe it's over in uh, the book of 1 Samuel. I believe he's referred to as uh, Aranua. But in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 21, he's called Ornan. Same man. He was living during King David's reign. Now remember, King David was a man what? After God's own heart. He was an all-of-life worshiper, okay? He was an all-of-life worshiper. He was worshiping God in every area of life. But that does not mean he was perfect. It does not mean that everything he did passed, uh, passed muster when it comes to that question. Can I do this for the honor and glory of God? Because one day he did something that was contrary to God, was a sin. He, he, he required a census to be taken to number the people living in his kingdom. Now, even Joab, the leader of his army, said, King, don't do this. It's wrong. But the king demanded it. So they did. They did the census. And because of that, because his faith uh, was not being put in the Lord at that time, but in his people and his armies, God said, okay, if your source of um, confidence is in your population of people, let me see what uh, I can do with that. And he diminished his population by 70,000 people. 70,000 people died because of David's bad choice. The Bible said an angel stood with a sword drawn over Jerusalem. His act of pride cost him and his people. As a result, so many, tens of thousands, died. He prayed for God to show him how to stay the hand of this angel this uh, angel that was killing the people sent by God. God told David to go to a specific place and build an altar there and offer sacrifices to the Lord. That specific place was a threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Ornan, it was the time of the year that he made his living for the whole year. He was grinding the wheat. It was a threshing floor. This was, a, this was like a popcorn store in December. <laughs> popcorn flying everywhere, wheat going everywhere. The customers are lined up at the door. And all you want to do is just get to the end of the month. Can I hear an amen from up there? Amen. It was the year, it was the time of the year he's making his money. And here comes the king. And the king says to this businessman, this successful businessman who loved the Lord, who was also an all of life worshiper. And he said, Ornan, people are dying. God's told me to come 
and to buy this threshing floor and to make it into a place of worship instead of a workplace. You know what Ornan's response was? He could have said, can you wait till January? He could have said, can you just put this off a little while, king? I'll be glad to, to sell it to you for a fair price then. Or, like so many people today, wow, opportunity is knocking. He could ask for maybe 10 times the value of the property and be set up for life. Surely the king can afford that. Could have taken advantage. But Ornan said this, King David, take it. And let my lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I give you the oxen for a burnt offering. I give you the threshing tools for the wood to build the fire. I give you all these sacks of wheat for a grain offering. And these four words, be sure to hear them. I give it all. You don't have to pay me a penny. You know what Ornan was saying? He was saying, my life and my stuff belongs to God already anyway. It belongs to God. What difference does it make if it's under my stewardship or under yours? You see, that is the whole mentality of what the Christian life is supposed to be. All of life, worship. All of life, worship. When that's true, I can hold things, people, stuff very loosely. When that's true, I don't have to be reminded that the tithe is the Lord's and more also. I don't have to be reminded that my time is the Lord's. Let him arrange my schedule and my calendar however he wants to. I don't have to withhold my talents and my abilities. Whatever they are, my strengths, my weaknesses. Lord, take all of me and use all of me to honor and glorify your Son, Jesus Christ. That threshing floor, by the way, if you continue reading in 1 Chronicles, the very first verse of chapter 22, the next chapter, after David builds an altar there and the plague is stayed, and people are no longer dying, and the angel of death has put his sword away, the very first verse of the next chapter says, that place is what, is where 
the temple is going to be built. You remember David wanted to build a temple to the Lord because all they had had before that was this tent, this tabernacle. He wanted to build a temple to the Lord, but God told him he couldn't do it, but his son would. But this place, the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, became the very spot that the great temple to the Lord would be built. And guess what? It was also the very place that Abraham had taken his son Isaac, leaving the servants at the bottom of the mountain, had gone up Mount Moriah, what became Mount Zion, what is spoken of spiritually and figuratively as Mount Zion in heaven, this place. And it was there where Isaac was laid on an altar and Abraham was about to sacrifice him. Why? Because Abraham was a, was a truly all of life worshiper. So it became a place of great happenings. Great happenings. Is there such a place in your life? I know I said that there are two aspects of worship that we would talk about this morning. With your permission, and I know that you're on the edge of your seat wondering what I'm going to say next. I'm just going to stop right there. We'll get to the second part of this some other time. Because worship, when we come together, all together worship, that's the other aspect of worship. It's corporate, all together corporate worship. This worship right here really is dependent upon the all-of-life worship of your life outside of this place. And one of the reason, reasons worship oftentimes is maybe an exercise in the flesh, one of the reasons why God doesn't move in stronger ways, one of the reasons why we don't see the house of God full on Sundays in corporate worship is because our lack and the lack of others all of life worship out there. My preaching will get better when you are an all of life worshiper. Our worship together will be more powerful when we come together and this time here is just the overflow. The, I guess that's not overflow. The overflow of what's going on in our lives out there. Let's pray. Father, help us this new year to reset our hearts to worship you with all of our heart and all of our life. May our attention be focused on you. May our affections be fixed on you. May our allegiances only be to you. Help us to make what may be hard choices in order to truly put you first in life. 
But may we do that as your people, individually, as families, and as a church family. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.